hopefully sown a seed of, of friendship. Alright. Well that's fun, I enjoyed that. Even just that. Let's talk about something that's not so fun. A show of hands if you feel comfortable. Who has been part of a family who has uh, been touched by divorce? Yep. Yeah, it's about what I expected. That's sad. 8,785 divorces were uh, granted uh, in this country uh, in 2012. That's 43% of the number of new marriages that were certified in this country uh, in 2012. I am well acquainted with divorce. My parents uh, divorced when I was 13 years old. And that had a profound effect on me. Since then, my father has been divorced again and is uh, on his third marriage. Uh, and I love my new stepmom and my, and my stepdad, who was just my dad. My mother has five brothers and sisters. All but one of them has experienced a divorce. And as I'm sharing this as an object lesson, it actually hurts to even say that. This is my family, but so much is ripping it apart and has ripped it apart. Five divorces out of six marriages between them. And that is a sad and shocking testimony. A robust nationwide US study by the George Barner Group found the marriages of couples who identified as born-again Christians were more likely to end in divorce than those who identified as non-religious. Now, that might be a surprising statistic to some of us here this morning. But if Christians treat their legal family the way that they treat their church family, then that should be no surprise at all. You could argue that's not the same thing though, Clay. And I would agree with you. It's not the same thing. Our church family is not the same as our physical, our legal family. Jesus told us that. Do you recall what Jesus said about family? Mark chapter 3, I'll read from verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And in Luke chapter 9, there's this exchange between Jesus and some new disciples. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first 
Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Sounds pretty full on, doesn't it? Sounds like it's really hard to follow Jesus. Go figure. Jesus' priority and the priority of his disciples was the kingdom of God. There is family in the kingdom of God. But kingdom family is not a matter of who you were born to. Kingdom family is a matter of who you were born again to. My earthly family frustrate me constantly. My brother Jared has annoyed me his entire life. He is just 18 months younger than me. I had 18 months of peace, of bliss. I can't remember a single day of it. But that doesn't doesn't stop me loving him or my children. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't stop him being my brother. I can't stop being his brother. You see, being his brother is not a choice I make. Jared being my brother is the unfortunate consequence of my parents continuing to have unprotected relations after I was born. That was quite selfish of them and quite icky. My brother and I are brothers because we have the same parents. And it's the same with us. We don't choose to be spiritual family. Let's look at his word. Romans chapter 8 from verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 10, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who were made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. That's not something that we choose. We don't choose to be spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters because we have the same heavenly father. I'm sorry, but that's not something that you can avoid. If you want God to be your dad, you get me as a brother and all this lot. And I'm sorry about that. Now, while we don't choose to be a family, we can certainly choose whether we will live like it or not. And that's the choice that we make. Despite the fact that we are brothers and sisters of faith, by and large, we choose to live as strangers or as uh, acquaintances at best. 
If you're heavily involved in ministry, a lot of our relationships are like work colleagues. And it's easy to walk away from acquaintances and strangers. It's easy to walk away from a job if you know there's another one you can go to. If you don't, if things are tough, if you don't like the conditions, you just, you go get another one. And if you know there's one there, it's easy. And it's easy to walk away because we're not really committed to them. Despite the fact that we are a family, I don't know that we think about ourselves as such. Now we can use the words brother, sister, and we can greet ourselves like that. But aren't they just really words that we use? Do we actually mean it? Does our, do our feelings and our perspective back up the word brother and sister? When we do think about ourselves as family, my experience has been that it's often from the broken perspective of the world where family is negotiable and divorce is the option when things get hard. If you have been divorced this morning, and I expect a number have personally gone through divorce, and I understand how painful that has been, there is no judgment from me. There's no judgment from leadership here at all. I wouldn't judge anyone here any more than I judge my own mum. That is not what this is about. This isn't even a message about divorce. The truth is, marriage is just a metaphor this morning for something that God has clearly revealed is of much greater significance than a piece of paper from the Department of Births, Deaths and Marriages. But the metaphor does reveal a lot. Let's compare our earthly marriages and families to what God has called us to in the church. In Christian marriage, God brings two people together to love one another, to support and help one another, and to build a family. In Christian church, God brings a group of people together to love one another, to support and help each other into greater maturity in Christ, and build a spiritual family. It's exactly the same thing. A marriage and a family work because you love each other. And I'm not talking about the gooey feeling of love. I'm not talking about being in love. I'm talking about agape love. That's the love that gets you up at four in the morning to clean urine off someone else's bed. It's my daughter Bree, not my wife. But I would. Love would love would lead me to that. And I and I know that there are a lot of families where where mum or dad or or uh their kids they can't take care of themselves and love requires you to take care of all those kind of things as well. That's agape love. This is a choice we make to put each other's needs before our own. This means we have grace for each other. This means that we forgive each other. We put each other first. This is the Philippians chapter two kind of stuff. A church family can only work if we treat each other exactly the same. Putting each other first. I think the problem starts with the breakdown in what we understand church to be. The reality is, I think we get it, at least at a, at a head level, 
a church is not a building, that's an easy one to dismiss. Sometimes we say, yeah, we're going to church and we mean the church service, but I think we know that the service, the program, this is not church. This is a meeting. This is a meeting of the church. Because church is the people that have been called into the family of God. We are church. So when my friends and my life group come around for a meal at my home, we are church. When we talk about doing church, well, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre concept, but it, it's it, what we mean is we are being the children of God. We are being family. Church is the community of faith that carries his name. Church is the family of God. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you are spiritual mothers and fathers to Leslie and me and to our children. God created family when he created humankind. He didn't just create Adam and Eve as husband and wife. As God's children, he created them to be brother and sister as well in the spiritual sense. What's very interesting is what the Apostle Paul says about marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're not married, watch out. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now to the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Man, what a preacher. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. I had to get married. <laughs> Believe me. Um, when Paul talks about these um, these present circumstances, he's talking about an age, uh, and this age exists still in some parts of the world where people were martyred for their faith. 
tortured to renounce their faith. Uh, and when you bring a married couple into, into those kind of circumstances, you better be very sure that you should be married because that's, yeah, you're bringing someone else into that as well. But that aside, the heart of that still remains. And, and I know exactly what he's talking about from experience. I wouldn't want it any other way than what I have now. My beautiful wife and my family. But I get this idea of there being nothing but him and being devoted to his kingdom. And if I was a different man, a stronger man, maybe that would be possible. But this is what Paul said. Marriage is okay. It's fine if you have to. But what is even better, if you can manage it, is to not get married so you can devote yourself undividedly to the Lord and prioritize the kingdom of God. Paul encourages us not to get married. Nowhere at all in Scripture does God anywhere encourage us not to be Christian family, not to meet together, not to support each other like this. That doesn't happen. Legal family, biological family, entering into those marriages, that is negotiable. You don't have to. But this, this is non-negotiable. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that the practice of the church community was every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, we are taught to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. That's the day of the Lord. To summarize, God is more than happy for us to not get married and start new earthly families because that is not the, the purpose of the church in this age. But spiritual family is non-negotiable. But that is not the way that we tend to think about it. In fact, there is a, um, understand the, the fastest growing church, at least in the States at the moment, is the church that don't meet. They've actually got statistics now for it, and more professing Christians are not meeting in church community than are. How do we get to that? How we treat each other, and this has been a hard learning for me, how I treat you, other people, turns out to be a reflection of how I really think about God. This is what I'm talking about. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God 
whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, we have, for the most part, uh, a Western mindset, which uh, has developed from Greek philosophy and thinking. And in Greek philosophy and thinking, you can compartmentalize your worldview. And you have all these different lives. The Greeks kind of broke it down more to two. It would be the physical world and the spiritual world. Uh, and we, we, we take that and we go run rampant with it. So in our compartmentalized thinking, we've got a stack of worlds. We've got our work world. We've got our family world. We've got our church world. Uh, we've got our social world. And we've got our, um, our God world. And they can all be very, very different. Even our church world and our God world can be very, very different. And we can be different people in those different worlds. Think about this. Are you exactly the same person at work as you are at home? Are you exactly the same person in your social life as you are in your church life? And what about your you and God world? Are you the same there as you are in the other four? And I oh know you might have more worlds you can add to that. But somehow the thinking that we've adopted allows us to do that. And we somehow miss the inconsistency of that. The Bible teaches us that there are two worlds. In Romans 8, we read about two worlds, two lives that we live. One is living by the Spirit. The other is living by the flesh. That's how it breaks down. One is living for him, living by him, living through him. The other is living for yourself, living for the world. That's how it breaks down. Everything we are doing, everything we're thinking, everything we're saying is falling into one of those two camps, living by him, living through him, or living by our own flesh, our own desires, our own brokenness, our own humanity. Guess which one he's calling us to live by? We have dysfunction in the church because we don't live by his spirit. We don't think by his spirit. And this is understandable. We are broken humans, but it's his spirit that is restoring us as and when we allow him to. There is dysfunction in the church because we are dysfunctional people living from our own humanity. There's dysfunction in the church because we don't, want, we don't know what it means to be church. Because we don't understand what it means to be a spiritual family. And because when it comes down to it, this is the tough one, we don't really love each other. I think we like the idea of it. And I think we know we're supposed to and God, we, we should. And that's a start, I guess. But it's one thing to know you're supposed to love people and a whole other one to actually do it. I feel it's very easy to have loving feelings for someone. I feel it's, I found it easy to be in love. I find it easy to be in love with my wife because she's just lovely and she makes me feel warm and gooey inside. That's the easy stuff. And I don't, don't generally feel that way about you. <laughs> well, some of you. But um, 
that's okay because that's not the superficial thing that God's calling us to. He's calling some so much deeper than that. The love He's calling us to is the hard stuff. The love He's calling us to is the love that saw Him nailed to a cross. That's hard. This is the love which is self-sacrificing. So it's easy for me to say, yeah, I love you, brother, I love you, sister, and love, love, love. Words are easy. Actually backing them up with a life, with lifestyle, with action, that's hard. And we talk, well, sometimes we talk a good game here. But where is the life that backs that up? Our challenge is to break through from word into deed. So yeah, I don't know that we really do love each other for the most part. I'm, I want to say I feel and experience love from a lot of you in here. Okay, I'm making huge, sweeping, generalized statements here. I believe that there is love here, and I feel loved, but uh, I don't know that that characterizes us. And so I think we've got some work to do. And when I say us, I mean I think I'm the worst of you. All right? You've not heard me preach before. Anything I'm preaching is something that I'm working through myself. We've got to sort this out. I have got to sort this out. This is very important to God, and it needs to be important to us. Families cease to function and fall apart because people don't love each other and because it just gets too hard. Churches fall apart because we don't love each other, because we don't have grace for each other, and when we don't realize the simple but essential truth that we are a family, we're not a club. You know, you pay your subscription and, you know, there's you know, your membership dues, which, well, most of us don't pay that either. But, um, you know, you, you come along to the meetings and oh, every now and then you have a good social. It's, it's not what we're trying to do here. And if you're not having fun, not ticking your boxes, just go find another club. No, no, I've, I've, I've been there. But we're a family. And... We are the only family that will actually last through eternity. You know that, right? There's no marriage in the afterlife. In eternity, in heaven, on the new earth, there's no marriage. Jesus specifically said there is no marriage. There's no ambiguity around that. But there is family. There is the family of God brothers and sisters in Christ. That family lasts forever. So why don't we invest in the relationships that will last forever? I'm not saying that we neglect our earthly families. I believe that God has given us obligations to each other as well. This is not a a choosing one over the other message. This is a both and message. But coming to understand this changes the way I think about my earthly family altogether. See, in eternity, Leslie is not my wife. She is my sister. Mary is not my mum in eternity. She is my sister. Sean and Brianna, they're not my daughters. They are my sisters. And they will be forever. And so the relationships that I'm cultivating with them now, it's not just dad and daughter, which will only last for, you know, however long I can survive on the planet. 
forever they will be my sisters. And so when I look at them, I want to see them spiritually first because it's the spirit that lasts forever. The flesh will pass away. And so it's our spiritual relationship that I want to cultivate. And just as much as Leslie and, and, and Mary and, and Sean and Brianna are my sisters forever, so are you, my brothers and sisters, forever. This stuff lasts. I don't want to take baggage with you into eternity. I don't want to start on the back foot. I don't even know how that looks, but I, this lasts forever. So I want to make this a better this. What we need, I believe, is a fundamental change in the way we think about each other. Who greeted you at the door? Who's sitting around you? Are they strangers? Are they acquaintances that you kind of half remember their name? Or are they brothers and sisters in Christ? Marriage is hard. Family is hard. Do you think the church is supposed to be easy? It's not. Church is hard because we are hard. We're broken. We're human. But marriage is worth it. Family is worth it. You better believe that church is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth the sacrifice. It is worth the work. Because the truth revealed in the word of God is church is God's family. It is the bride of Christ and our eternal inheritance is found in it alone. So what changes today? Well, hopefully our perspective. And we can anchor our suspicions more on the word of God as Jesus taught us what real family is. And we can start to live like we are family. Try to think of each other differently and engage with each other as if we really are family. And not from the broken perspective of the world, but from the restored perspective of heaven. Hopefully our understanding on the nature of church and and the the priorities of God change. What needs to change? Well, for some of us, our attitude towards each other, towards priorities, I know mine do. I find it easy to love some of God's people more than others. And it turns out those are the people that God is calling me to love. Turns out that God doesn't do a lot of things for my own convenience, but he does a lot to transform me into the person that that he sees me as the likeness of Christ. And so there's certainly a lot of work to do in me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And I know I need a lot of love. My need to love needs to be greater than my need to be right. And this is something that I've struggled with for a long, long time. I've, <laughs> I, find it, I find it hard to love people who are just wrong. And the wrong ones are all of you who don't agree with me on my clearly accurate theology. And so I have let, I have let disagreements, uh, with points of doctrine and theology separate me from fellowship with people. And some of it's, some of it's silly stuff. And some of it I could almost say is, you know, fundamental things. But just because someone doesn't have the same understanding as me and who made me the oracle of all truth, Pretty sure not God. 
who made yeah who made me decide what is true and what is not? But I've let issues of theology separate me from people. Now that might not be your thing, but we we have our thing, our precious, and we let this separate us from God's people. Now I believe that having right doctrine and truth, I think it's important, but. And I, all these scriptures are jumping out at me time and time again that Jesus' priority for us is love and unity. And we have got to put that first and work out the rest of it once we've got that nailed. And I believe, to be honest, only in love and only in a unified relationship can we sort out the other stuff. I can't be unified with someone just because we think the same about a point of doctrine. It's only because we love each other that we can be truly unified. So that's what I'm working on. So my prayer for myself, and I need your prayer on this as well, that God would just overwhelm me in his love. 1 John says, uh, we love because he first loved us. So I need a deeper experience and revelation of his love. And when I truly have that, and I can truly love you, then the other stuff, that gets blown away. We can have true fellowship, true relationship. We'll live like brothers and sisters. And then we can work out the other stuff. It's only in this love that Christ can renew our minds so that we are like-minded. I've been trying to do it the other way around, trying to get the thinking right so then I could have relationship with people, choosing to love people only because we're on the same page. So that's changing. It has to change. So my question this morning for you was, what is separating you from your brothers and sisters? And how can we put that aside so we can actually let God's love flow between us? And bring us together. The present reality of, of our church, of our family, at least the one I've painted this morning, might sound pretty grim. I don't want you to walk out the door with that. Okay? I'm not all dark and gloom and, and emo. I'm actually filled with hope. I don't want to be thinking about the way things were or the way things seem to be right now, my eyes are fixed on what they're going to be. Because the Lord has told us the way it's going to be. He painted the picture of a radiant bride prepared for a marriage with the Lord. He speaks of a church which is redeemed and restored. Speaking about us. So even though everything's not sweet now, it's going to be. And if not in this generation, well in the next. But I want it to be our generation. I want it to be right now. We fix this stuff now. We let him do his work in us now, not leave it for our children. We do it now. If we can surrender to him, allow him to do his work in us, it happens now. So are we all on the same page with this? Do we want it to be now through us? Or must it happen and the next generation who are more submitted. Yeah, now. This is what I'm seeing. I'm, I've, I've heard time and time again people saying, oh, this new thing that Greg's bringing, oh, what I heard from the front, this new thing. There is nothing new that's coming. I've heard older people say, no, nah, it's not new. I've heard that three times already. That was big in the 80s. You know why stuff keeps getting regurgitated in the church? It's because we don't get it the first time. We don't follow through on what the prophecy was, and so the Lord waits for another generation. 
Read the Old, Old Testament. Time and time again, people of Israel forgot what God said, so we had to do the whole thing again. I, I want to break the cycle. Now, I'm sure every generation says the same thing. So let's, I don't know, let's give it a go. How does that sound? Okay? Let's love each other. Yeah? Whatever that means. Right. No. No, I know what it means for me. As I've shared, I have to put aside uh, my rightness so that I can, so, my, so the love can come first. Love first, and then in that environment we can work on everything else. I want you to be thinking about this. What is it that is separating you from your brothers and sisters here at the Rock and in other parts of the kingdom? All right? Rightness is my thing. What is your thing? What we need to do then is take that to the Lord. So my confession before the Lord right now is my idea of what is right and wrong, my idea of, of theology, I am putting that as a barrier between brothers and sisters, and only those who agree with me can come into relationship with me. I confess that, and I surrender it to you, Lord. I want the love that you've promised. I want to be characterized by love, not legalistic doctrine. Okay, that's me. It's my confession to you. And if you if you witness or experience that from me, I want you to call me on it. I give you permission to do that because you're my brothers and sisters. All right? And I am going to try to respond in grace. And I, I'm, I'm seeing this in, in, in a, an engagement I'm having with someone at the moment. I need to put love first. What I want you to take away is that what is separating you, can you bring that to the Lord as well and allow him to work on that? We put aside these things, these idols. For me, this is an idol. Being right is an idol. It's been more important for me to be right than to love. So that's my idol, and I denounce it now in Jesus' name. What is yours? Does any of that make sense at all? 20%. I'll take it.